Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Put your hands together for our creative team tonight, who did a great job leading us in worship. And uh, hey, I tell you the truth, right? That, that job, what they just did, that's harder than you think. It's harder than you think. They make it look easy, but it's actually a little bit harder than easy. And uh, actually, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. When I, uh, when I was younger, uh, I must have been like, I don't know, maybe six or eight years old or something. I was in primary school, I remember. And I decided that I was going to sing a part in a school concert that we had. And I you had to try out for this position, right? So I did. I tried out for the role. And amazingly, I got it. And so they gave me an entire verse to sing and I got that and I had a couple of weeks to prepare. So I took it home and I would read over it and I would practice it and I was singing it and just wanted to really nail it on the night. And I remember I would practice in the kitchen. Mum, you probably don't remember this, but mum, you need how many you need a, an encouraging mum every now and then, right? So so mum would say, Hey, you're doing so great. And and so I practiced it and I had it all. I remembered every word. But can I tell you that there is a big difference between singing in the kitchen to your mum and singing in front of a whole crowd of people? And so I got to the concert night and there I was. And, uh, and I, I remember getting up and we had everybody all lined over on the right of the, of, of the stage. And uh, there must have been maybe, I want to say like maybe 400, 500 people there. So the, the place was just jam packed. And so there was a lady who was running everything. She was playing the piano. She was sitting over on the, on the far left of the sta- stage. And so I remember, you know, with every increasing verse, it got closer to mine. And then it was my moment. And so I came over to the microphone and I had everything I was going to say. And then, then it came for my part and I had nothing, like absolutely nothing. And so, and, and I'm telling you, you ask any of the worship leaders that do this, you know the song, you know everything about it. And then it gets to the moment for you to say something and you're like, I have no idea. Where do we start? What do we say? What's the first thing that should come to my mind? And it's so easy for that to happen. And so my mind went total blank. So I just smiled at everybody, just looked at everyone in the room and I looked around and people, you know, they weren't judging me, uh, but they were just looking at me kind of like you're looking at me right now. And so I got all sort of nervous and I looked over at my uh, uh, the person that was on the piano, the lady that was running the whole concert, right? And she starts doing move- movements like this, like this. I'm like, lady, that's not helping anyone. I don't know what to do with that, right? She's like, just, just start singing, right? So I'm there and I'm looking around and then it comes to me. I remember one line of the verse that I had to sing. So I sang that one line four times in a row. I just kept saying it and looking around and, 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 you know, I got to the end and I looked back at the lady and she was like giving me the thumbs up and I'm like, you liar. And I looked over here and, and like, as I'm walking back, you know, people are like high-fiving me and, and saying, you did a great job. And I'm like, you're, you're a bunch of liars because I know that I totally messed that up and I couldn't remember anything. And I, you know what? I just felt so bad. And this is the thing that I've realized is that I'm not a singer. It's not my job. It's not what I do. I'm not the person that sings. And so, and so, you know, up here, I don't, that's why I don't do that. I don't sing. I don't sing for a couple of reasons because of course we want you to come back to church, but, but you know, that's not my thing. Now, can you imagine for just a moment if I had have organized my entire life around that moment? Or what if I made my, my whole life around just being a singer? 
but it just wasn't the thing that I was supposed to do. Do you know what would happen to me? I would spend my life just feeling like a total failure when I didn't have to feel that way. You know what I just needed to do? I just needed to find the thing that God had gifted me with and just do that. That's the thing that I've got to do. That's the thing that all of us have actually got to do. We just need to find the thing that God has asked us to do. And we just do that. So I want to read a scripture to you right now. And this comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul the Apostle writes and he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You have a measure of faith to match the zone of your grace. You have a measure of faith to match the zone of your grace. When I talk about your grace, I mean the thing that God has given to you. And I'm going to do this a little bit. So sometimes when I talk about your grace, I'm going to oscillate between your grace and your calling because I often think that they are the same thing. The reason God gave you a gift is because He planned to call that gift out of you and use it in some kind of uh, ministry expression, be whatever it is, because ministry can take form in lots of different ways. But when I talk about your grace, and for anybody that maybe missed church last week, I thought I would just catch you right on up so that you understand what I'm talking about. So I often, when I talk about the zone of your grace, right? I mean, God has gifted you with something that you are really good at doing. And it's my uh, belief that every single person in this room tonight, you have at least one spiritual gift. Now, if you've got your gift, right, but you're not passionate about something, you're never going to pursue it. But we say that your gift, where you find the intersection of your gift and your grace with the passion that you have in your heart, somewhere in that vicinity where things cross over, I would put a circle around that and I would say that that is the zone of your grace. This is where God wants you to use your gift. Now, last week when I was speaking, I talked a lot about using your gifts inside the church because the text that I read from was a text that said, let us use our gifts to serve one another within the framework and context of Christian community. That's what he means when he's talking about serving one another. What does he mean? He's talking about the church. That is his ecclesia. That's his group of people. So that's why I talked about using your gifts inside the church. But the truth is, is that you can take your gift, whatever it is, and you can use it wherever you want. But I submit to you tonight that it functions best when you use it where God wants it. Are you with me so far tonight? It works best when you use it where God wants it. And I, you know, the thing is, I've been reading this, this incredible book called the Bible for many years now. And as, as, as I start to read through this book and read the stories of people's lives, you know what is sort of, well, you know what is so striking to me, what kind of stands out to me is just how, ordinary everyone was. 
just how average they really were. Just ordinary people, everyday people. If you've ever felt like you're an ordinary kind of person, you have so much in common with many of the stories about people in the Bible. It's just full of ordinary people. But it's amazing to me that these ordinary people seem to do extraordinary things. And I read this over and it's astonishing to me because there are so many times when these ordinary people should not have succeeded and yet somehow they do. They succeed in areas where they shouldn't. They have victory over battles that they should never have won. And it's astonishing to me. And I ask myself the question, right? How do they do it? And the answer, of course, is grace. We're in a series about grace. That our theme for the year is grace upon grace. I want to talk to you about success because I look at ordinary people that succeed all of the time. And I mean this seriously tonight. Like I, I ask myself the question, what is it about these ordinary people that caused God to want to respond to them? You know, what is it about these ordinary people that made God say, I would like to work with you actually. I would love to know that because if I could understand that, if I know that, maybe there's some opportunity to get God to work with me. Now, the thing is, is that when I read this Bible, and I don't know if, you've, if you guys have ever, uh, you know, just really read this cover to cover, or if you, I don't know, find your favorite bits or something, right? But, but if you read this book from cover to cover, surely the conclusion that you must draw is that God wants His people to succeed. Four of you agree. That's shocking. Well, I can tell you that if you read this book and you read it, all the way through, one of the things that you'll see is that God has a vested interest in helping His people to succeed. He blesses them in ways that allows them to be successful in areas that they shouldn't be. And, and you know what? I, I see this. This is the big picture of, of ministry is that God blesses it in order to see it succeed. I mean, we see it right throughout the Bible and I've already mentioned it. You know, there were some crazy battles. Like, let me give you one, for example. God made the sun stand still. So that, and I don't even want to go down the path of what that would mean scientifically for the fabric of the universe, okay? I'm no fool. I thought about it. I just decided, I just decided that I understand it, but I don't have time to explain it. Can I say that? It's a total lie. I just couldn't even imagine how that began. He made the sun stand still so that Israel could defeat an enemy. Come on, that's amazing. That's, a, that's an incredible miracle. Is it battles and wars that they shouldn't have won? And they did it. I thought, you know what would be really interesting? What, why don't we look at just maybe even just one person and see what God did with their life? And I thought who, one of the best examples that I could come up with was this man named Joseph. Now, if you don't know who Joseph is, we could read probably, it's probably more like 30 chapters of Genesis and we can really cover it off. But I thought we actually do not have time for that today. So we're not going to do that. But I thought, you know, I'm just going to catch you right on up so you understand a little bit about who he is. Joseph uh, had 11 brothers and his dad loved Joseph more than he loved the rest of them, right? 
<laughs> All right, so that's already a fail, guys. That's a total fail. And, and, then, and then he did something that was even worse than that, which is he actually told all of them that he loved Joseph more. All right, so that's just doubling down on your fail in the first place, right? So he, he, de he definitely shouldn't have done that, right? Some of you aren't parents. You're like, okay, this is good, 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 good. So you're just learning right now. Okay, don't tell any of your kids that they're your favorite if you decide to have children and, and don't make it obvious. Well, the thing is, is Joseph's dad did make it obvious because he gave him a coat. They made a whole play about this coat. I don't know if you've heard about it. Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Coat. I haven't actually seen the play. I don't know if it's close to the original, but in the original story from the Bible, Joseph's brothers hated the fact that he had this special coat and that they didn't have it. And so then, you know, Joseph was a special kind of a kid though. And, you know, God would come and speak to him in dreams and visions. And he gave him this dream that the sun and the moon and the stars would all bow down to him. And those things represented his mom and his dad and his siblings, right? So Joseph is young. He's not that smart. So he decides to tell them that dream. Guess what? I had this dream. You're all going to bow down to me. They're like, we hate you even more now, Joseph, right? So one day his dad sends him out into a field and he comes and they say, look, here he is. And they decide, you know what? It would just be easier for us if we just killed him. Let's just kill him, end his life, and then, and then life gets better for us. We're sick of him being favored, and we just hate this whole thing. And one of them says, hey, let's not, you know, kill him. Let's, let, let's, let's sell him, and then we can get something out of it. So they sell their brother into slavery. They take his coat. They put blood on it. They go back to their dad. They say, look, he's dead. Yeah, we're all grief-stricken. And then uh, they, they actually sell Joseph to some slave traders on their way to Egypt. So now we have Joseph. He's just been bought as a slave. And I want to read to you an account out of Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And I think it's very important that we link those two things together. They are not abstract and sit, you know, on separate pages, right? What does it say? That the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. It says, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his Egyptian master didn't believe in the same God that Joseph did. But look at what it says. It says that even his master saw that the Lord was with him. And get this, underline this in, the, in your Bible. The Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. He caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Sometimes you got to get involved in your own miracle. Sometimes you got to just get involved in your own miracle. Please do not join the Bless Me Club. The Bless Me Club is characterized by people who sit in their PJs all day in their armchair with their feet up and saying, bless me, God, bless me, bring all the blessings to me. I want to experience them. They're not actually doing anything. They just want to be blessed where they are. Bless me here and bless me there. And, and there's nothing wrong with the asking for the blessings of God. But, but when, you do, when you do nothing and you just want God to bring everything to you and you're not prepared to do anything else, I just read that and I think, I don't think that's how this actually works. You see, what does the Scripture say? It says that Joseph was a success, 
Right? 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 Okay, so here, was just want to make sure I had you. It says that Joseph was a success. Yeah, but he worked his butt off. He worked so hard. The other thing about him is that he had integrity. And so here is this guy with a history of integrity and he works really hard and God blesses. And you can read it back in the text if you go back to the one we just read. He blessed what Joseph did. Do you see the order in which it comes? He blessed what he did. It doesn't say he blessed what he was going to do. In fact, that doesn't even really make sense. Can I tell you that God blesses actions, not intentions? He blesses your actions, not intentions. You can make it so hard for God to bless you when you do nothing. Where, does he, where exactly does God set His blessing down on your life if you haven't actually done anything? I don't know how many of you are new to church. I don't know how many of you are new to faith in Jesus. But the Bible says that the language of the Spirit of God is dreams and visions. So maybe you haven't audibly heard the voice of God. I mean, not many do. But the language of the Spirit of God is dreams and visions. So sometimes the way that God will speak to you is He gives you a dream. He gives you a picture of a preferred future. He gives you a vision of what things could be, right? And then you are supposed to, and this shouldn't come as a shock to anyone, you are supposed to act on the dream. You're supposed to act on it. Now when He gives you a dream and a vision, that is not the time to sit back and just say, well, bring it all to me and allow me to do nothing, right? Please understand the, the relationship and the interconnectedness and the partnership that happens between man and God. He gives you dream and visions to which you respond to, to which He blesses. Is this starting to make sense? He blesses the things that you do. Listen to me. God cannot bless the business you're still thinking about. You know, the one that you've been thinking about starting? He can't bless it. You know why? It doesn't exist, right? He, he can't bless the, the, the resume that you never sat down to bother to write. God, give me a job. Give me a job, right? He's like, yeah, start by writing your resume, right? He can't bless that. You, you haven't sat down to even do it. He can't bless the email that you never sent to get the job that you wanted, right? Because you never sent the email in the first place. It's starting to make a, this picture really clear, isn't it? This is how it works in a relationship with God. He can bless you, but you have to do something first. He blesses the work of your hands. You need to get involved in your own miracle. Look at verse 3. It says, The Lord caused all that He did to succeed in His hands. All that He did to succeed in His hands. And yet, when we look at what happened in Joseph's life, he had all this opposition. And despite the fact that he had opposition, he was still in the zone of His grace. And that is very important for you to know. 
Because the moment you start trying to take ground from the enemy of your soul, or you start to live out the purpose of God in your life, you should expect that you should encounter some opposition. Now, if you're so easily scared, the moment that you encounter any opposition, you'll quit before this thing really even gets off the ground. You should know that you can be in the middle of the zone of your grace and still have things that come your way. And if you look at the story of Joseph's life, it's so obvious. In fact, let me tell you what happened after he was hired as a slave to his Egyptian master. The Egyptian master had a wife and she was looking at Joseph and she was like, you are so hot, young man. And she was into him. And she kept propositioning him and saying, come on, I just, and I want to be clear so that we're not, let's have sex, Joseph, is what she was saying to him over and over. These unwanted advances from this lady in his life, right? And he kept on saying, no, I'm not interested. And no, I don't want anything to do with that. And, and she couldn't handle it. One day, Joseph is walking around, right? And like a crazy, you know, uh, you know, wild jungle cat, she jumps out at him and grabs him, right? So I made that last part up, right? But, but she jumps at him and she grabs him and she goes, now is the time. And Joseph's like, somehow, like a magician, he slips out of his jacket, right? And he's like, no way. And he leaves his jacket with her. He goes, I don't want anything to do with this. And she is hurt and offended. So, so Joseph gets out of there and, and, and he escapes and she's left with the jacket, still reeling from the rejection issues that she was experiencing. And she thought, well, I can't deal with this rejection. So I've got to get rid of this guy named Joseph. So she goes to her husband and she says, well, you know what? He raped me. And how about this for evidence? The proof is here. I have his jacket. It's pretty lame, right? As far as evidence is concerned, right? So she says, hey, I have his jacket. This is all the evidence you need. And we kind of feel like, you know, Potiphar, we kind of figure that he really knew that his wife was crazy anyway, because, you know, really, if, this, if a slave had raped the master's wife, what would happen to him? He should be killed immediately. Only that doesn't happen to Joseph, which kind of gives us the idea that he probably really didn't believe his wife. He was probably thinking, are you serious? Look what you've done. You've ruined this for all of us. I didn't have anyone like Joseph, but he understood something very important, right? He can't side with a slave over his wife, right? I mean, even back then, they understood this ancient wisdom to be true. Happy wife, happy, right, okay? So ancient wisdom from the Scripture, keep you happy, you crazy woman. So what happens, right? Well, he, he, he goes to prison and he is the model prisoner and he's so remarkable and so impressive that, that the prison, the guy that's in charge of the prison, uh, he says, you know what? I'm going to put you, Joseph, as a prisoner in charge of everything that happens in the prison. While he is there, there are two people that have dreams. They don't know what they mean. Joseph comes and he interprets both dreams. It's unfortunate for one of those men who died. The other man goes back into the palace uh, with this understanding that everything that Joseph said in the prison came to pass. Meanwhile, some time passes and then Pharaoh has a horrible dream that he's trying to get all of his people to interpret. 
They don't know what it means. And it suddenly occurs to this man who was in prison with Joseph. Ah, he says, I remember there was a man in prison. His name was Joseph and he is fantastic at interpreting dreams. We should totally get him in here. They say, great. So they get him in and they clean him up and they shave him and they bring him before Pharaoh and they say, listen to this dream. So he gives the dream to Joseph. Joseph says, aha. He goes, I know exactly what this dream is about. He interprets it. He says, you're about to have seven years years of just blessing and it's going to be bountiful and it's important that you know this because it's going to be followed by seven years of extreme famine but Joseph doesn't stop there because he's a man of excellence and so what does he do he says I have a strategy for you as well he says since you understand that this is going to happen I suggest that you you know build big barns and let's store grain and that you're gonna have to tax the people and you're gonna be able to ride this out so he starts laying down strategy Pharaoh says this is amazing where will we find another man like this man Joseph promote that man to prime minister yes talk about prisoner rehabilitation program he goes from being a prisoner to the prime minister wears a signet ring and and everyone is subject to him except for Pharaoh himself oh my gosh what an amazing story right come on that was an amazing story How does that happen? Well, the answer is obvious. It's grace, right? It's grace on his life. I mean, no one could devise this. No one could plan this. And what's interesting is when you look at Joseph's life and you start to see what happened, surely there must have been times where he said, God, what is happening? But with the power of hindsight, we look back and we say, he was exactly where he was supposed to be every step of the way in order for him to get from where he was to where God had planned him to be. And that's just God moving all the pieces. That's God organizing all of that. It's God's grace on his life. My point to you is this, just because you have opposition doesn't mean you are outside of the zone of your grace. In fact... Grace works best with opposition. Come on, think about it. Why would you need grace if you could do it all by yourself? Grace works best under pressure. Grace works best in the face of opposition. Grace is the thing that bridges the gap that you could not bridge, which is why it's called grace. You couldn't do it on your own. It absolutely required God's intervention. So let me bring you some summary point right now. God has this incredible grace that works under pressure and allows you to succeed, right? 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 Oh gosh, right? Okay, okay. Great. But if you want to stay in the zone and walk in the fullness of, of everything that God has for you in life, there is something that you need to do. And this thing that I'm going to tell you about tonight is what I would consider to be probably the most repeated pattern that you see in Scripture. The most repeated pattern that you see. 
And if you look for it and we go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, right? And we look all the way through, we just see this one thing repeated again and again. And you know what? It doesn't always come in the same sentence, but we see the concept of it. We see the elements of it. And this is, I'll tell you what it sounds like, okay? It sounds like if you, then I. That's it. If you, then I. Most repeated pattern in the Bible. If you do this, then God says, I will do that. He says, if you, you know, obey here, I will bless there. Come on, this is the most repeated pattern we see in the Bible. And this is on all of God's promises. And my kids, they even get this, they understand it. Well, I say to them, if you clean your room, I will give you pocket money, right? It's a very simple pattern. And, and we just need to see it, maybe recognize it. What I thought I'd do is I'd give you two verses. There are literally hundreds of examples of this in the Bible. I thought I'll give you one from the New Testament and one from the Old Testament. Listen to this, Romans chapter 10, verse nine. You ready? It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Who does the saving? God does the saving. That's the thing that He does. What's the thing that you're supposed to do? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. If you confess and believe, I will save. Now the thing about this is, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And I have said this many times, but I'll repeat it because I think it's so significant. The magnitude of Christ dying on the cross is so immense that that one righteous act, that thing that He did, the fact that God died is so huge that it has the power to forgive the sins that every single person could ever commit in history and in the future for all time. That is boundless grace. That is endless grace. That grace is more than enough. The grace of Christ's death on the cross is so significant. It's like taking a match and striking it and dropping it into the ocean. It's overkill. It's more than enough, right? And so all of this grace, this boundless and endless and amazing grace, it's all there. But you need to do something to access it. It's huge. It's all there. There's more than enough. But you need to do something to access it. Listen to this one, Deuteronomy 11, 22 to 23. It says, If you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all His ways and holding fast to Him, if you. Verse 23 is the then I. It says, Then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. All the grace was there to dispossess nations. That's amazing. To drive out nations that are greater and mightier and more significant. That's an amazing, endless grace. But it required that they did something first in order to access that grace. They had to do what God told them to do. And this is the most repeated pattern that I see everywhere in the Bible, which is that if you wanna be successful, start being obedient. Not a lot of cheers on that one or excitement. 
You want to stop being successful? Stop being obedient. And remember this. When it comes to the grace of God, you're always saved by grace through faith in Christ. You're completely saved. Can I tell you this, right? Whether you're obedient or disobedient, God will never love you anymore. How about that? You are totally, utterly, and completely at this moment loved by God, right? Isn't that nice? But I've seen plenty of Christians that have been totally loved by God and saved by God, but continue to be unsuccessful for many, many years. Just because you're loved and saved doesn't mean that you'd be successful. And don't get me wrong, like I'm saying that even if you work hard, and you're disciplined and you're organized and you're sharp and you you you, you press in you you could be successful in life there are people that that you know just push forwards and continue to do that and end up successful in life but here's the scary part to me i think you know what if they push so hard into an area that they weren't supposed to push into because they weren't in the grace of god Yes, they were successful and they got there eventually, but it was hard work, like walking uphill all the way. Meanwhile, on some other mountain covered in the grace of God, it was all downhill. He would have cleared the path. He would have made things easier. What if you end up being successful at something that God doesn't want you to be successful in? Isn't that even worse? Isn't it worse to end up in a place where God doesn't really want you to be? I don't know about you, but I want to succeed in the area that God has given me grace for. He must want me to be there for some reason. I, I want to find the grace zone and live in that space and do what He's called me to do in that space. If you want to walk in the fullness of God's purpose and see His grace at work, you've got to just obey Him. Listen to what Psalm 65 11 says. It says, You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Isn't that beautiful? What does that mean? <laughs> well, I want you to imagine God's wagon tracks. Like what if, I want do this, literally picture a wagon. It's overflowing. It has more than enough for whatever it is that you need, right? And here's the thing. It's a great picture because if you stay in the wagon tracks, there's more than enough that's fallen off along the way. Just picture that. The wagon. It sounded so much better than things will just fall off the back of a truck and you'll pick them up and it'll be great. And you, no, don't do that. Go back to the wagon. Back to the wagon. Right? And if you stay in the track and you, and you follow the path that God has for your life, then that will be blessed. And you know what the thing is? At any moment, if you want to, you can walk off the beaten path and say, Oh God, I want you to bless me here. I, I want the blessing here. Not that. I, I want it to be here. This is the area that I want my life to succeed in. And he says, that's so cute that you want to do that. But I've actually got a plan for your life over here. And if you stay in the, in the tracks of God, right, it's that place where you you'll be blessed. So what you got to do is you just got to get on board with the track, the plan that God has for your life. And in that space, that's where you find all the grace that you need to do whatever it is that God has asked you to do. You know, by the way, I, I thought it would be good at this, at this moment <laughs> in this message 
to tell you what I think success is. Because some of you are just been thinking about money right now. And you're like, what is this prosperity doctrine you speak of, Pastor Ben? What is this strange new teaching you say? Well, here's what I think. Sometimes God's idea of grace and our idea of grace are totally different things. And what we need to do is we need to realign our thinking with what the Scripture says success really is. And I can say it to you very easy, but it doesn't come so easy because in order to change your mind, you have to be a, a humble person and allow the Word of God to reshape your thinking. I mean, most people think that they're right, don't you? Right? I mean, if you thought you were wrong, you would think the other thing, right? But you don't. So you must think that you're right because that makes sense. So to change your mind about what you think, you have to be a spiritually mature person and say, you know what, God, the truth is, I've been coming at this thing all wrong. But I don't want to project onto you what I think it is. Why don't you tell me what you think it is? You know, when I read the Scriptures, you know what I think success can be? I think success can be the formation of your character. You know, the more I read this, the more I see that God is... God is far more concerned about who you are rather than how wealthy you are. He's far more concerned with your character because your character sets up a pathway for your life. Success in the area of character, come on. This is what He loves. But it's the other thing. The truth is some people really are blessed in the area of being financially prosperous. And I mean exceedingly blessed. They got promotions. Things just came to them. I mean, think about it. It makes sense. God knew the city that they would be born in, the parents that they'd be born to, when God would interact with them. And, and why did all of this come to them? Well, a kingdom-orientated person would look at everything that they have and they say, aha, I have been blessed financially so that I can sow into the kingdom of God. Now, we all want to do that. I know, we all want to do it. But there are some people that actually are blessed in that specific way far more than the rest of us are. And they have the capacity to do what we would like to do, but can't actually do. And so yes, sure, blessing sometimes comes in the area of finances. Sometimes blessing comes in the form of promotion and sometimes blessing will come in the form of influence. But can I tell you something? That exact order that I just gave you, those blessings is the same way that God blessed Joseph in the exact same order. He was a slave, but he had integrity. He had a character. And then what happened? Well, he went from being in a slave market to being more wealthy. See, slaves weren't really treated the way that we think about modern day slavery. It was different back then. So he started to have a little bit more wealth. His position went up. And then what happened? He was promoted, right? And then what happened? Ultimately, he had all the influence in Egypt. But why should God give him influence if he doesn't have the right character? See, success, it doesn't happen in a moment. That's what we would call a miracle. 
when you see crazy success in a moment, we say, well, that is just an act of God because there is no way that could have happened without an absolute miracle taking place. But success is the sum total of your obedience towards God. And you see, He just keeps moving in your life in different ways. You've just got to be obedient. Why should God give you more if He can't trust you with what you've already have? So here's what you need to do. You, you know, it's very simple. But you get out the Bible and you read it every day. And you see what God wants to say to you through His Word. And you pray and then you just say, yes, Jesus. To what? Whatever He says. Whatever He says. And it, and, and it doesn't mean that you always have to be extreme. Sometimes you need to test what you hear, right? But at the end of the day, if Jesus asks you to do something, you say yes to Him and you repeatedly say yes to Him over and over. And the reason why you do this is because when I look through this book and I read the stories of ordinary people that meet with extraordinary success, I see the secret that attracted the presence of God to move in their life and give them extraordinary grace, except it's not so much a secret, it's really just a pattern that we see constantly repeated. And it's one of obedience. If you, then I. I want to pray for people tonight. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.